0: Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in to another episode for Dry Eye Coach Podcast. Uh, Today is going to be a very uh, uh, exciting and interesting topic where we're going to talk with Dr. Diana Driscoll, who practices out of Colleyville, Texas. She is the Clinical Director for POTS Care. She's also the Founder and Director for TJ Nutrition and the President of Genetic Disease Investigators. Welcome, Diana.
1: Thank you, Walt, and I, it's such an honor to be here. I'm so grateful to you.
0: Yeah, so t- today we're, we're going to talk about things that you are super passionate about and things that I am excited to learn more about. You and I, we've had, uh, you know, several different discussions over the last several weeks, and you, you've told me a little bit about what you do, and I'm excited for our listeners to hear as well. So you're in research and you have a medical clinic, but you're an optometrist or working in a neurological dry eye. <laughs> How
1: did you end up doing this? It's a very unusual story, isn't it? And you're right. I'm very passionate about it because it was such a long journey. Um, It was, gosh, almost 15 years ago. I went on a mission trip to Costa Rica and got a virus, and all of us got the same virus. I can't blame the virus. But I ended up not recovering, and I was the only one who didn't recover. But months later, I was diagnosed with POTS postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, which is basically a breakdown of the autonomic nervous system and unable to get help basically anywhere. We traveled the country and oh, it was so hard because I was just rather immediately disabled by it. I, I couldn't even finish my last two patients the day I was hit. And I can work through quite a bit, but eventually oh, about a year, year and a half later, my kids got sick and We were quite the mess, so we needed answers, and we couldn't get any. No one understood the condition. It was extraordinarily frustrating. So I set up a corporation, genetic disease investigators, and started to do some research. I started by looking in the eyes. Imagine that.
0: That's weird when you're an optometrist, huh?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) It turned out to be pretty handy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, and one of the reasons why I was so interested – you, you just mentioned POTS, and we're going to talk more about that. Uh, but one of the things I, I shared with you is one of my friends and colleagues, uh, she ended up develop, or getting the, the same um, condition. And so, you know, I didn't yes. know what it was at first. And, and then so when you and I started talking, I just wanted to know more. So can you tell us what is POTS?
1: Right. Absolutely. It's so misunderstood. Um, just the name implies that when someone gets vertical, their heart rate goes up. But I remember telling the doctors, that's the least of my worries. That's what you guys can see. But I am sick from head to toe, and, and the heart problems is, is fairly minor. But uh, it it's where the autonomic nervous system, the system of the body, we really shouldn't have to think about, no longer works well. So you can't control heart rate, blood pressure, digestion. Um, if the, the blood doesn't circulate properly, then... Symptoms started to multiply, and every month it seemed like it was different and more disabling. So uh, trying to figure out in each case what happened and what can we do to pick up the pieces is it's extraordinarily complex, extraordinarily complex, but I had to take a deep dive into the autonomic nervous system, something I never anticipated doing.
0: But by doing so, you now you have some of the answers or many of the answers. So what breakthroughs did you have?
1: Yeah, I had a few, and it came in layers. And the first layer I uh, was able to figure out was there was a propensity for high intracranial pressure. It was interesting because um, as eye doctors were used to looking for papilledema in that case, but the majority yep. of patients didn't have true papilledema. So we really had to dig deep on that one. I spent a few years on that. And then the next layer was more, I suspected, the vagus nerve getting caught up in all this. One reason I thought about that was the heart rate was just racing. Oftentimes the gut wasn't working. It was starting to shut down. And I thought, well, what would tie both of those things together? And that would be a vagus nerve. So I started to dig into, is that why my GI tract was shutting down? My gallbladder stopped working, got horrible constipation. And then it went on to full-blown gastroparesis. Nothing was moving, and I was in a world of hurt.
0: So there was a nicotine patch that you remembered from school. Can you talk about that?
1: (laughs) I sure will. Yeah, apparently no one had thought about doing this. Um, When I had that horrible gastroparesis, um, my doctors didn't know what to do. We tried everything. And I had this pain in my lower right-hand quadrant, and I I was starting to suspect maybe – the valve between the large and small intestine, the ileocecal valve, might not be opening, maybe something was wrong with it. And my doctor sent me to a urologist. She said, Well maybe that pain is a kidney stone. I thought, I don't think so, but okay, you know. And I saw this doctor. He was so nice and I told him what I suspected. He thought that was fascinating. And he meanwhile he checked for kidney stones. He gave me this dye to drink and ugh. And he scanned, he said, there's no stones. He sent me to a surgeon to see if they could open that valve, if that was right. And the surgeon said, no, don't do that. Don't have abdominal surgery unless it's life-threatening. So I went home and still had no answers. And three days later, while well, it was so weird, I got a kidney stone. And uh-huh. the only thing I could think of is divine intervention. What are the chances? So I called the urologist, and I said, I do understand that I didn't have a stone three days ago, but I do now. And he met me at the hospital, sure enough, I had a kidney stone, he removed it. And when I woke up, he was just real close to me, and he said, Diana, you're right. So what? He said, it's your ileocecal valve. I said, well, how do you know that? He said, that dye I gave you three days ago to drink is still in you. It's just all crammed up against that valve. And I felt like then, while I had some verification that I was on the right track. So I asked him what to do. He said, oh, I don't know. (laughs) I'm here to remove your stone. So I was on my own yet again, but I felt like I had something to work with. So I started to think back to the lectures in school. I don't know how I remember these things, but I thought we learned that there's two parts to the vagus nerve. There's the preganglionic that goes from the brain down into the chest and abdomen, there's the GAP or synapse, and then there's the postganglionic vagus nerve. And I remember the instructor saying, the postganglionic vagus nerve is so small it's almost a part of the organ itself. And I thought, I think I still have that. Is there any way I could trigger that? So I started to think about the neurotransmitters. I thought, well, that's acetylcholine, but that's not a drug. So could I use use an imitator of that drug, which... It's called an agonist. And I thought, okay, what's the agonist for that nerve? And I thought, oh, well, that one I remember. It's, this is the only nicotinic acetylcholinergic nerve in the body. So I got a nicotine patch. And while I put it on my abdomen, not knowing if I was going to make any difference, but it took about an hour, and the valve opened at a normal bowel movement and kept using it for a few days, did fine called other patients with the same condition they did fine too that okay we're on to something we can't keep using nicotine because it was actually activating more inflammation but Mm -hmm. it set me on the right track understanding the receptors were still working whether or not the nerve was affected i didn't know but i had still a a target and Mm -hmm. then i thought could i come up with a oral way of doing this. Mix supplements in a way that it could have that same response and yet um, not
0: use nicotine.
1: So that was the goal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's definitely your breakthrough, but since it's a dry eye coach, can you tell us how, this, how, you know, <laughs> how people noticed about dry eyes and, 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 and the release they got?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I did so many studies on this and I was looking at bowel movement, vagus nerve, gallbladder function, all that to make sure I got it. And it wasn't until the end of the studies I realized the dry eye were uh, dry cases were, were clearing up. But, okay, I have to back up and figure out why did that happen. Um, the lacrimal nerve, of course, uses acetylcholine as its neurotransmitter. The receptors are different, though. They're basically muscarinic, not nicotinic. So I wanted to to figure out how that happened, how to improve on it, and then I started to think, well, how many chronic dry patients are are dealing with something in the same family of conditions where acetylcholine is getting blocked, it's not getting released properly, they don't have to be sick like I was sick, but you start to look for symptoms of kind of like anticholinergic poisoning but turned way down, so look for things like brain fog, large pupils, tendency for constipation or fatigue, those sorts of symptoms that we oftentimes blame on just getting old or being stressed out or something. And I found in the dry population that was super common. So approaching dry eye from both a systemic viewpoint of supporting this neurotransmitter for more than just a lacrimal nerve Turned out to be like this wonderful combination, not only for the dry eye, but the overall wellness. And I figured out that was really a new approach. No one had ever looked at that before, and I've gotten some patents to date, which was very validating. Very validating.
0: Yeah, so I mean, that so that's a critical connection that that you you made there. Uh, so you, so you identified that connection. So then what? What did you do next?
1: Right. I. I basically sat in my kitchen, and I used my old organic chemistry knowledge. Which I don't even want to tell you how old that is. And I was working in genetics at the time, thinking that we had some genetic problems. What are the chances both my kids and I could end up with this with no genes involved? And tried to figure out a way to put together ingredients to support acetylcholine, work around all genetic defects in that pathway, include nutrients that are in the pathway of making acetylcholine, and yet to be real careful not to overstimulate the receptors so that tolerance built it up. And then I wanted to make sure it crossed the blood-brain barrier because there were so many symptoms that the central nervous system was affected, the brain fog, short-term memory problems, et cetera. So my goals were very lofty, but I sat there and just made it and then just kept tweaking it for about three, three-and-a-half years, gave it to my son and I. My son had developed severe osteoporosis, it was really frightening, to make sure he had it right and then started to study. So it ended up with an oral over the counter supplement mix to do this. And it worked.
0: So so how is the so you have the product Parison plus eyes. So how is this product different than other dry eye supplements?
1: Right. It's a a completely different approach, and it really took a, a mind shift for this. To think in terms of dry eye is not necessarily always being an eye problem. If the eye problem, if you will, is secondary to a systemic problem, then oftentimes you can see it manifest in other ways, like the fatigue or tendency for constipation or... Inflammation oftentimes will block acetylcholine, and the same inflammation can cause other symptoms. So we look for some of that, and I found it to be very common. So approach it from more of a systemic point, approach it from the autonomic nervous system, and get the muscarinic receptors and the nicotinic all in one fell swoop. But as it turned out, this chronic inflammation that's blocking acetylcholine is something that's usually not diagnosed. Uh, we're familiar with something like Sjogren's syndrome, you know, where, where we clearly understand the inflammatory component. But the inflammatory cytokines and chemokines I was finding weren't measured by the traditional markers. CRP said, Ray, we had to go to cytokines. And as practitioners, we can't really do that. So even normal aging is an inflammatory process. Um, athletes are very... Uh, Strong athletes tend to be inflammatory, so there's a huge population I think that gets overlooked uh, in the state. And dry eyes is just one consequence of that chronic problem with inflammation blocking that neurotransmitter. So, and I love the fact that it was over the counter. <laughs> I thought I can't wait for like a drug to be developed. We've got to get this out um, and ready for my family right right now. So it is different. It's a completely different approach, and it's something doctors can roll into their current paradigms. It's not going to replace if there's structural damage or the myoboming glands are bust or what have you. Um, you've got to support the neurology, though, to get the best outcome for the patient. So it is a different approach.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's definitely working on it from the from the systemic aspect, as you just mentioned, So have you uh, looked much into the uh, OCO1 uh, varicline that's going to be intranasal, uh, a potential intranasal? You know um, it. (laughs) So what are your thoughts on that? Because, you know, that's something that many of us are excited. You know, you looked at one approach. This is another approach, but it's both uh, doing the same thing, you know, looking at the selective nicotinic acetylcholine receptor agonist. So what are your thoughts? Yeah,
1: I have a couple of thoughts, and I think, one, it is – awesome that someone is finally looking at the autonomic nervous system, and kudos to them. I think that is great. Um, This is a a nicotinic agonist. Um, Their product is a nicotinic agonist, so it works on the nicotinic receptors, but it looks like with research, we're finding that most of the receptors for the lacrimal functional unit are actually muscarinic, so for that, it won't be as effective, but it's still a localized drug. It's treating dry eye as a local problem as opposed to a systemic problem. So it's not going to um, increase the acetylcholine, say, to cross the blood-brain barrier to support the vagus nerve. Um, So I also wonder, it stimulates the trigeminal nerve. But the way I think of it is the trigeminal nerve is an autonomic nerve. It should work all by itself. Right? we don't have to think about tear production uh-huh. so if it's broken if it's not working and dry eyes result then stimulating that nerve is not going to be effective, you can't stimulate a broken nerve and have it work but if it's autonomic why isn't why isn't it automatic? why are we having to stimulate something? And I think we need to think deeper about more systemic effects um, uh-huh. so I like the fact that we don't have to sneeze and we take a pill, too. I'm hoping that won't be a real, real issue for them. But right. I have no doubt. Well, that no, that
0: I, I've, right. I've been excited to, to learn more about OCO1. And, and you know, since we're on this topic, I, I def- definitely had to bring it up. Uh, I mean, looking at the, the data, we know that uh, uh, we should hear the next month or so whether or not that's going to be approved. But so far the data, signs and symptoms for dry disease, it's been uh, – uh, impressive, but then also now hearing about you know you and things that you've been working on from the systemic aspect. I mean, this is great because you and I have both talked about. You know, there's so much when it comes to dry eye, and you know what is the underlying issue. And so, I mean, it's exciting to hear more and learning from you. Do you have any any closing words or that or any anything you'd like to add before we wrap up this podcast?
1: Right, it's it's such an exciting time, isn't it? And I love when new things are coming out, and I love people who think deeper and to help patients. It's all about helping the patients, but I've got to tell you, I've got to pinch myself sometimes, all because I was disabled for over a decade, and having to be forced out of eye care and going this long, circuitous route around eye care to back into eye care and having something to contribute to the profession is is amazing I'm so grateful that I I for the education I received and that I'm in this profession I don't think I could have gotten the answers I got for my own health and for others had I not had that background so I don't know that eye doctors get enough uh, kudos for looking at Systemic illness and i understand we're eye doctors right but the eye is is that window to the rest of the body and we can learn so much by by looking at the eye and i think dry eye disease is just one thing that might be telling us a systemic story that we can't miss but um i'm so happy to be here and it's a second chance a lot of people don't have and i'm so grateful to you for letting me tell my story
0: Oh Well, hey, thank you so much for spending time with us today there, uh, Diane. And, and it's been great to learn so much more about this and uh, look forward to our continued conversations. And for everyone that's on this podcast, thank you so much for spending time with us and looking forward to the next one. Have a great day.